out. Uh, did knights use catheters? Uh, apparently, uh, <laughs> according to Greek and Roman sources, the catheters have been used since at least... Um, uh, 200 BC, or I'm sorry, uh, C AD. What's the C? Yeah, I guess is the like PC term now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 200 PC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, okay. What if I just did night piss themselves? Well, <laughs> <laughs> obviously that's not the answer. Yeah. But I mean, who would care? Like, if you're on a bloody battlefield. Like, who would care if you pissed yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, here's a, uh, here's a um, Reddit post. <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> the top cause of this is great. Okay, I was going to get... The, the question is, how did knights... How did knights poop, right? I don't really care about that so much. You know, whatever. Yeah. I'm much more interested in, in urine. Obviously. But uh, the answer to because this, you you could get by not having to, to yeah you could you could hold it's easier to hold that in we don't see it like you know IBS yeah as long as you're regular get it out of the way before battle but uh, this is so funny because the the top rated post in response to this question on Reddit is I'd like it to make it clear before I post that I'm not gonna, not an academic historian <laughs> but I've done a fair <laughs> bit of reading on medieval arms and armor as I'm a pr- practitioner of HEMA don't know what that is. And reenactment. So, I think it's uh, an acronym that means loser. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Um, it looks like it was pretty easy to remove the uh, plate at the bottom, so you could just take it off yeah. and, and piss. It's disappointing. <laughs> How did knights pee? But I, I assume that a fair number of them just you know, if you're like about to fight. Like, what are you going to do? Like, run off and, like, pull your armor off? Like, no way. Yeah, yeah. You just go. <laughs> I don't want to go. Like, who gives a shit? It's not going to detract from the smell of, like, rotting entrails on the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um... <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's the answer, I guess. And on that note, welcome to Project A+. <laughs> The, the pissiest show around. What is it? Episode 88? Um, yes. Let's go with that. That's a, that's a fair word. Let me double check. <laughs> Let's just say 88. That's what you said yesterday when I asked you. So. Yeah, 88. 88. This is Project A+. Plus. I'm Hunter. You're Hugh. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we got a banner episode today, don't we? A banner episode? Uh-huh. Are we doing uh, Ang Lee's Hulk or... You know, we're doing uh, incarnation. Yeah, we're doing the Incredible Hulk, the TV movie, the Incredible Hulk. What's the one with Thor? With with Lou Gehrig's disease, Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's called the Incredible Hulk Returns. Okay. And Thor is in it. Oh, you know what? I was getting confused. I think Thor is in a couple of them, um, but there is one called the Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which I do believe. Oh no, Daredevil's in it. Wow, that's fun. Well, he's a lawyer after all. So, what did we watch? Uh, I think I think this is a film. I think this is a film that slots pretty comfortably in our wheelhouse. Would you agree with me? 
I agree. If our wheelhouse is uh, mediocre Netflix films, not mediocre. Well, my opinion of it, but you potentially mediocre. What? Potentially mediocre. Okay, so it's cross. I'm saying cro- like I'm saying our wheelhouse okay. is mediocre. No, no. See, this is um, this this film is the confluence of many of our wheelhouses. Okay. Okay. Because yes, it is a potentially mediocre big budget Netflix film, something we've covered extensively. From a known property. Yeah, from a known director. So that's another thing is Netflix original movies directed by pretty big name directors. In this case, uh, Mr. George Clooney. The third wheelhouse it, it is part of is Netflix original sci-fi films, which you've also done. We've also done a, a more than a couple episodes on. Yeah, I guess this is this is the ultimate wheelhouse. This is kind of the this is kind of the er product day plus spell, and then it crosses mm. all. Though the one thing uh, might be that I don't think. George Clooney is particularly acclaimed as a director, except for uh, his first film, which I've never seen. Good night and good luck. And a couple of other More films. More like, got no thank reviews. you. And no thank you. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching Confessions of a Dangerous Mind was a, when I was a teenager. I think it was boring. Yeah, so, so Confessions of a Dangerous Mind got respectable reviews, I would say. I think um, I got a mixed review. His best... His best reviewed film by far, as far as I'm aware, is Good Night, Good Luck. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of his other films, some people liked. I remember I saw um, Leatherheads and, and didn't laugh at all. But yeah, I would say like he has a somewhat subdued reputation. I think his reputation has declined over time. Yes. Because, yeah, as he said, Conventions of a Dangerous Mind kind of got like, oh, you know, this isn't bad for a first film, you know. Type type plaudits. And, you know, this isn't bad for a film directed by someone yeah. who's known as an actor. Good Night and Good Luck, good luck got genuinely positive reviews, mostly for middle brow critics, to be sure. But yes, seemed to build sort of an excitement. And then uh, everything else seems bad. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Everything else just really just didn't register on anyone's radar. Mm. I remember, well, I think, I think I remember uh, Suburbicon, his um, film that was adapted from a, a Coen Brothers script, be getting like viciously received, negatively received. So, mm. but I, I feel like even though, even still, um, his films after Good Night and Good Luck are pretty quickly forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what the reception they uh, initially were met with. He, he is a primo director of films and now television miniseries that simply seem to not exist. Yeah, it is the apt way to put it. Because, like, you know, if you told me, you know, I was in New York when this premiered. There was there were ads for this show all over the all over the city, all over the subway. But I, you know, basically had forgotten that he directed that Catch Twenty Two miniseries until I. Oh you know. yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> with David Michaud, another favorite of ours. <laughs> That's true. Key to the uh, Prada Day Plus mythology. Hmm. Now, this sounds uh, terrible, uh, the Catch-22 miniseries. But, you know, I'm always willing to give old George a uh, another chance. Yeah, I think he's a pretty enjoyable presence as an actor. I don't know if you agree with me on that. I don't know if he's um, a necessarily talented actor, but he is a pretty good movie star, I think. Yeah, I think there's like a narrow range in which he operates most effectively. And outside of that, I, I, I don't find him especially compelling he, he's he's good in all the color brother all the color brothers movies he's in i think yeah I, I quite liked him in like burn after reading like that was one yeah. of his like he's good at playing like that i actually like dummies liked. he's good in hail caesar yeah he's not bad in that yeah oh brother we're out there 
He's he's good in the Oceans movies too. You know, just play in a movie star. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Like that's kind of like that's his the that's his wheelhouse. role for him. Yeah, it's just playing in like a charismatic guy who's basically just himself. Yeah. Anything else? You know, I'm not. Uh, honestly, I'm uh, I'm not that familiar with this career. Nothing else even like sticks out in my memory. I've 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 only seen it's like uh, you know his like big films. You know what I mean. I, I never saw The Descendants or... I did see that. Very forgettable. <laughs> or t- Tomorrowland. Okay. I guess that's pretty forgettable. Up in the Air. That was another like film that he got a lot of attention for. I mean, you should have been all over The Descendants. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Alexander Fate is a great director. <laughs> I actually think Downsides is the... Have you seen Sideways? <laughs> no, I think Downsides is the only one of his movies that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should go back and revisit the canon. <laughs> Those uh, pornos he made for uh, Showtime were pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, <laughs> we forgot what we were talking about. Just, just quitting. I believe the film is called The Midnight Sky, which we uh, haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> is, it, is it called that? <laughs> Uh, let me just double check. <laughs> yes, it's called The Midnight Sky. <laughs> I did have to look it up several times. And Remember I was like, <laughs> message you, you messaging you about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we've covered about why. Uh, we've covered exactly why we've, uh, we were attracted to watching this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, should we talk about what it is? <laughs> or <laughs> It's kind of a simple movie when you get down to it. Planet. Okay, so it's called The Midnight Sky. Uh, Quidi stars as the ridiculously named Augustine Lockhart. Lofthouse. Lofthouse, that's it. Augustine Lofthouse, who appears to be a scientist of some kind. It's not really defined in the movie what type of scientist that is, though. A space Um, scientist. Yeah, he's a space guy. He's an astronomer or something like that. And um, he is in the uh, present day of the film. He is uh, the last, um, I guess, survivor or, well, something is happening to the We don't really know. So the opening caption is like, you know, three weeks after the event. Yeah. Right. And we see him alone on this uh, Arctic station. That's the basic context. Yeah, like every, every, well, I mean, the opening moments are everyone else who was at the station being evacuated to some other place, right? Yeah. But he is, stays behind because he has a disease of some sort. I guess like cancer. Something that requires Again, not, a dialysis. Not entirely defined, but he appears, yeah, he appears to have some uh, potentially fatal condition. No, I mean, I think it's explicitly uh, fatal. I mean, is it? Yeah, because when, when Tuvok is like, no, you can't, you, you know, if you don't get blood, you'll die. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Remember? I wasn't paying that much attention. <laughs> well, Tuvok's there, briefly. 
Uh, by which I mean Tim Russ, who's not the only Star Trek alum that is in this film. But uh, yeah, he's like hanging out in the space station, I guess just ready to meet his death, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I can't, I, I'm having a little bit of trouble remembering the exact order of events, but he's trying to get in contact with a, a mission to one of the moons of Jupiter that a space crew has been sent to to scout the viability of it serving as a like uh, off-world colony for humankind. And it's revealed in flashbacks that um, Clooney, when he was a younger man and played by Spock. Yes. No, no, not not um, Leonard Nimoy. Or uh, who played him in the movies? What's that guy's name? Uh, Zachary Quinto. Oh, yes. Or, or Zachary Quinto, but played by TV Discovery, Star Trek Discovery Spock, Ethan Peck. Um, he has discovered this planet. And, um, let's see. So Clooney's like hanging out. He's trying to get in contact with this thing, but he's out of range. And uh, what did he just discover? What does he discover, Gil? Little girl. Little girl. <laughs> and so, uh, at some point, the film flashes to the spaceship, which is returning. They're trying to get into contact with Earth. It's nice, multiracial. I guess like multinational too, but only like Western nations, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's weird that the uh, group sponsoring the spaceship is never like mentioned because it's not like NASA or like like the European, you know, space uh, whatever it's called. It's set, yeah, it's set twenty nine years in the future, so maybe a new corporation arises. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's basically just like SpaceX or something. <laughs> yeah. This movie's basically Elon Musk propaganda, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that. Uh, so it's like um, Felicity Jones and um, the guy who's in uh, Gringo. What's his name? David uh, Awello. Is that right? Uh, and uh, Demi Bashir and um, the football man, <laughs> uh, Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. And the, the woman who I didn't know it is like a newish actress, so. Uh, Callan Springle. No, I think that's the woman who plays, his, uh, plays Clooney's dead wife. Tiffany Boone? Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Let me just confirm real quick. Yep, yep. Yeah, Tiffany Boone. Uh, and they're headed back. Um, uh... David Awello and Felicity Jones are in a relationship. He's like the leader of the mission. She's pregnant. Um, the planet is viable as a Earth place, and they're trying to get in contact with Earth. He's trying to get in, and Clooney's trying to get in contact with them. Uh, but his satellite at his base is, is strong enough to contact them, so he has to go to a weather base, and that's kind of the movie, I guess. It's two hours long. Um, what did you think about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what we to reveal my feelings toward it first. Um, I mean, I'm happy to. I'm happy to start. I don't mind. Um, I don't actually have any notes aside from the notes. <laughs> Me that neither. I scrolled into my phone while I was watching this film, so this will be a bit of a disjointed uh, discussion. But um, I think that's that's fitting for this film. Um, because I don't even really have the energy to form an opinion about it, to be <laughs> honest. So. I have to say, I think this is one of the most uh, 
I think this is one of the most boring films we've done on the show. It, it is a film that will, like, disappear into vapor within the next uh, few days, I expect. And uh, come the end of year lists, it will be <laughs> a front runner for a film that I've forgotten I watched. <laughs> Luckily, it was released in 2020, so we won't have to think oh, about it in that context. Um, yeah, it basically, basically does seem typical of uh, Clooney's output. <laughs> In that it's, you know, reasonably competent. I would say charitably that there are a couple of sequences that are decently staged. Yeah, I'm not going to go that far, I think. But on the whole, it feels like nothing, right? Yeah. I thought I thought it was a bit of a slog, too. It really it feels was like... A slog, yeah. I really feel like this fun. is like a... Uh, maybe like a 50-minute TV show episode that was gratuitously stretched over two hours for no reason. <laughs> I must confess that I did uh, doze off in the middle somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I normally, I, normally I would take you to ta- task for that, but and I, I had no desire to like rewind and 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 make sure I didn't miss anything. I, I don't think you missed anything crucial, probably. <laughs> I did check the runtime, like when I sort of regained consciousness, and I was like, "Oh, it doesn't seem like I've missed very much in terms of the duration I was at before." Because I was checking the time, I was like, "Oh god." <laughs> I mean, it's one of those films where I was like, I knew, I sort of knew, I hadn't read any reviews in detail, but I was kind of aware that it had received mixed reviews. Yeah. But I was, I was hopeful that maybe this would just be like some decent sci-fi fun, right? That I could get behind. Uh, of a Saturday night. No. And uh, it, again, it's one of those things where the decisions made within the first, like, two minutes put me offside and I it never regained my <laughs> trust or enthusiasm. In terms I must of say, I, I guess the uh, central twist of the film, which you can get into, uh, like, basically the moment the young girl came on screen, I was like, okay... <laughs> There is something in the autopilot direction, just kind of the automatic decisions that are made uh, in terms of like showing this old cranky alcoholic guy. You know, he's got this terminal illness. The the, the crass flashbacks that occur really early on. And that's even before the flashbacks um, where we see a different actor portray Clooney, which is a really bizarre experience. It's disorienting for someone who has aged so like handsomely <laughs> to have a different it's, it's actor weird, It's weird that he's doing like a Clooney voice too, you know? Yeah. The voice was well was well done, I will say. Like it did yeah. sound like Clooney. It almost sounded like he was dubbing him. <laughs> and I was like, this is weird. Um, and that, that opening caption that I mentioned earlier where it says like, uh, you know, three weeks after the event. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> never, never promised he no. way to start a film. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the little girls there. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, I can't look after a little girl. Why? I can barely look after myself. I'm a crystal uh, that, man. No. That, that, that PC made me want to die. I thought I, left my, I thought I left my family life behind when I ruined it years ago when I was Spock. Just like Spock, I didn't have any emotions then. And then we get the, the parallel narrative, which is happening aboard the, the space station that he's trying to contact or whatever mm. it is. I'm assuming there's supposed to be like thematic resonance between the the two stories in the way that you know he's at the he's at the end of his life, yeah, yeah and he's right. trying to like recapture something that he lost in the past, uh, in the form of this child. 
Um, and, and then we have like the hope for humanity. And we have, uh, in particular, Felicity Jones, who is, who is pregnant and bringing new life into, into the world. With, mm. She's pregnant with the captain. Should we talk about the... She's not pregnant with the captain, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird time, time distortion thing. The captain... Um, uh, she's carrying the captain's child. Yes. Um, should, we, should, we talk, should, we t- should we just get the twist out of the way already? Yeah, yeah, fine. Let's get the twist out of the way. So basically it's revealed in the past that Quidi is, uh, you know, he's like Spock. <laughs> he's basically just Spock. That basically is what the, the character is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and he knocks up his, his, his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend. Uh, and she tells him that she got an abortion, but she actually didn't. And uh, what do you know? This little girl is the girl that he's been hallucinating. What? Spoilers. He's hallucinating the girl the whole time. And also his daughter is actually Felicity Jones. Yeah. Which is pretty easy to guess as soon as that, you know, you hear that his uh, paramour has a British accent. You're like, okay. It was a pretty funny twist. I wasn't I wasn't really thinking about it. So extra, extra. As soon as the little girl came on screen, I was like, oh, that's going to be Felicity Jones. I don't know if it's going to be like hallucination or uh, like time distortion, but there you go. The way she appears is like so unexplained that obviously yeah. it wasn't just a stowaway yeah. child. Like there was obviously something else going on. But I just, I was... I was checked out. I wasn't thinking about this film. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not a very engaging film on any level. I was um, enduring this film. <laughs> uh, I did like how the ending with Quudy and the kid, or just Quudy, is kind of like the end of high life. <laughs> mm. It's got kind of a similar like, visual, too. But it is interesting. Like In the original novel, the Felicity Jones character is not pregnant. Um <laughs> Felicity Jones was actually pregnant during the making of this film, and Clooney rewrote it to to accommodate that. Oh, so they had to edit the script. It does it does make the the indeed completely insane, which we'll talk about in a bit. It does, yeah. I I agree. Like it ruins like part of the the story of this film, um, but thematically it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, yeah. New wife. If you consider them like the, the old. new hope. And the, they're going to start the human race again. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So. yeah. But practically, it's completely crazy. What happens at the end with the other crew members makes no sense. Yeah. So basically, one of them dies. Um, the, the, younger, the younger woman, played by Tiffany Boone, um, her character's called Maya. Yeah. And gets, they, gets there's a scene where they have to go on a spacewalk to fix the satellite. And like, she's like, oh, I've never done this before. And you're like, oh, she's going to die then. Right. <laughs> Straight away. I mean, you're pretty, you know, you're kind of like assuming that she's going to die just because like they always kill like the youngest crew member in these things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she, gets, she gets killed. Uh, and in a, in a scene that uh, sounds more visually interesting than it is, because uh, there's a lot of like zero G blood, but it just looks really thick and CGI. Yeah, I didn't mind um, the idea um, because what happens is... pretty boring though. Yeah, what, what happens is... Um, they're trying to fix the satellite, right? They're on the space. Well, they do, they do fix. They fix everything, and then the, they start getting hit by meteors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While they're still out there, a meteor shower comes through. Um, they seem to weather it okay. Yeah, they've gotten through it, uh, and then and then you see like a drop of blood rise up in uh, Tiffany Boone's helmet, and it turns out she's been punctured. It just looks so fake that it's like hard to care, you know. And they yeah they take her inside. Um, and they have to wait until, uh, you know, the oxygen 
yeah. um, levels uh, are present in the in the yeah. area that they've so transferred they can, to, so, so they can, they can run remove her, her helmet. Yeah, and when they do, all the blood that she has lost, you know, yeah, just expands out. out of her helmet and floats around and in dribbles the room around. In, but again, it looks pretty fake. Which is quite a that. good idea. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. it turns out I've lost all this blood and you can visually see it in this horrifying moment. But it just looks yeah. really phony, so it doesn't quite yeah. register, It doesn't have the visceral, like, appeal that you think something like that one. It doesn't look much more photorealistic than it did in um, <laughs> yeah. The Undiscovered Country, where it works yeah. really well just because yeah. it's a better film. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, that scene is great in The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> it is. Um, anyway, but... Uh, and um, yeah, so she dies after that injury, and then so I guess you should say that uh, Kyle Chandler has a family back on Earth that he like wants to get back to. <clears throat> and uh, when they get to Earth, um, there's a message for him that's like, "Oh, we evacuated." I don't know. <laughs> that's basically it. So he decides to grab one of the space shuttles and like fly down and see if he can find them. I guess. No, I, I didn't really understand the point of showing them evac. Like, where are they evacuating to? Like, what, what was up with that? It just feels like kind of tossed off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. That was stupid. But um, the 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 bizarre thing is, so like Clooney says, "Hey, I, I you know, there's nothing left for you on Earth. Yeah, you just you go back. Follow my plan to go to this new planet that might be habitable or whatever, and start the human race again." Which is what? Which is what? Um, his daughter. And the captain are going to do, right? And yeah. she's pregnant. They're going to start life again. That makes sense, right? But um, Kyle Chandler, Coach Taylor, Coach Taylor doesn't want to leave the team behind. <laughs> and, and then you got these two other guys to, you know, make sure the gene pool is nice and broad, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then the, the other guy, I mean, this is what Wikipedia said. I didn't really get it. I, I didn't really find it evident in the film itself. Uh, but because he sees the dead uh, other crew member as a surrogate daughter, which, again, not really conveyed in the film itself, but that's what Wikipedia claimed, uh, he decides to go back to Earth to bury her or something like that, which is pretty dumb. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll go with you. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> but, like, the idea of, like, hey, the future of the human race depends on this couple with this child. Yeah. One of you should fucking stay and help them. <laughs> yeah, or you know, like again, make sure case. that the, or, yeah, yeah, or again, make sure the gene pool is, is like sufficiently broad. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of genetic diseases in this new uh, <laughs> variant of humanity that's gonna come. Like, how else do they think they're gonna survive? <laughs> it's just so. It's just weird that the film like ends on this note of like explicit like future incest you know like what else is what else is supposed to happen like it's supposed to be this like weird hopeful and also the the way that the film actually ends is so bizarre you know where the credits start rolling and they're just like hanging out in the spaceship it's like what is this did they forget to turn it i quite liked that to be honest oh, like that was one did. of the touches that at least made the film distinct yeah so we should explain <laughs> it so the film ends with them flying off to the new it planet it's it with Clooney going and like killing himself basically yeah um, but the actual final shot that accompanies the credits is just um, the remaining crew members on the bridge yeah. staring out into space. We can't see space. We're just looking at them. Like, it's just your standard, like, Star Trek bridge shot. Mm. And they're just, like, fiddling with the controls and stuff for the whole credit sequence. Or, mm. like, a, a big portion of the credit sequence before it gets into the traditional scrolling. Um, and, and then they turn off the lights and that's it, right? 
And I, I liked that. I was like, that's kind of different, except for the fact that it's all ruined by the terrible production design um, yeah. of the actual spacecraft because it has this horrible, um, like, alien space mesh motif um, that makes it look like a failed pilot for the sci-fi channel in, like, 2004 or something like that. Mm. It looked way too much like a bad science fiction TV show. And not enough, like, a, you know, a mature, thoughtful science fiction film. Um, that it ruined the, the whole conception of that, um, that moment, which I otherwise quite enjoyed. No, I thought it was bad. Sorry. Um, so this is a, uh, a very forgettable adult film. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's dull in a way that makes it worse than... Um, a lot of the other sort of Netflix trash that we've endured. Um, yeah. Because it's, like, merely dull. Uh, there's, like, nothing interesting about it, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> except, for, except for the indie. The only, the only interesting thing is the indie. In, in the final, like, moments of the film, Clooney realizes that Felicity Jones is his daughter, right? But he doesn't say anything. Like, what, what kind of bullshit is that? Yeah, you're about to die. What have you got to lose? Yeah, so you who gives have a, a connection with your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, this random guy. Oh, boy. Like, I'm your father. I'm so sorry. You know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's funny that the film kind of presents him as being, like, redeemed in some way, right? But he, like, didn't, like, like his, his connection that he established with his daughter is totally one-sided, you know? Like, it's kind of, like, narcissistic in a way. Hmm. Yeah, so shitty film. It does definitely feel like an Elon Musk like hand job in a lot of respects. I think, hmm. <laughs> where it's like, oh yeah, again, like non-governmental uh, space flight will save us all. The, the planet is doomed. The only thing that will save us if, is if we uh, colonize another one. You know, so yeah. dumb shit. So it's a pretty unenjoyable film. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, recommend that people not watch it. Yeah, I would say the closest it gets to being, like, funny in terms of something you can laugh at is the twist, if you hadn't predicted it, I guess. Yeah. And it is kind of funny the way it's done as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was the only bit that, like, brought me amusement about this whole endeavour. Whereas a lot of the other sort of Netflix crap that we watched uh, at least, you know, provided us with more things to sort of point at. <laughs> yeah, like... I feel like every uh, every Netflix original like sci-fi film has had at least one moment where it's like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, like think about like you know Sam Worthington swimming in the Titan <laughs> or the sex scenes in a nod. You know, these are memorable films. This is just like nothing. There's like nothing. Yeah, to like it. mute mute is like the furthest you can go on that spectrum. Like, I mean, that's at one end, mute, and the midnight sky is on the mute other. Mute is mute is not forgettable. I mean, you'd say what you want about it, but <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> It's uh, it's incredibly, incredibly like, it's bad, but it's 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 uh, very uh, uh, memorable in, in a lot of respects. Yeah, just to be clear, both sides of the spectrum are terrible, but yeah, one of them yeah. is memorably terrible, and one of them is something that you're gonna forget the next day, like the midnight sky. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. But mute and uh, midnight sky definitely form like the two uh, opposing ends. Like, like I don't know. Yeah, in our, our, our Hershey theory, I guess. Yeah. We've ruled out any of these films being good. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, of course. Not, not that's impossible. Of Netflix, has the, <laughs> Netflix has the poison touch, you know? <laughs> um, 
Especially in sci-fi films. It's crazy. This film apparently cost $100 million to make, which is insane. What a waste of money. Wow. <laughs> this absolute piece of shit. Um, there's, like, no tension to any of the scenes either. You know what I mean? Like, they're not even, like, executed, like, in, a, in an enjoyable way on, like, an individualistic level. Because, you know, like, there's never any tension about whether he's going to make it or not. Because obviously he is, right? Yeah, I think the problem is, like, just on a technical level, I didn't mind the way a couple of the sequences were, were staged, as I said, up front. But they don't carry any weight in the narrative. They just seem like scenes like, okay. just exist yeah. in isolation just as an attempt to make it seem more thrilling than it otherwise would be. But It's like, oh, he's gonna, he's found a pilot, he's going to have to shoot, who cares? Like even when the girl the girl dies, it's like who cares? Like whatever. It doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't affect anything. It doesn't change. <laughs> but also, anything. also, I think it's really funny too that again, like the the film is supposed to have a happy ending. I think right. A hopeful ending. Yeah, but like you know, uh, they barely got to Earth with a a, a full crew. Like they get to make the same flight with just two of them, and it's gonna be like fine. Like what if there's yeah. another meteor storm? That's why it's so insane that the other two left them. I don't care about like your family's dead. Like it's yeah. more important to make sure these two are, are yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah. And again, like you know, you you have a child Felicity Jones, and it, it increases the amount of genes by you know yeah. two other partners. Like it's not nothing. Uh, uh, I don't want them to make a sequel to this film. That's just like you know, I don't know, like some human survivors come to the the planet that they discover is just full of these like inbred monsters. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this is a terrible film. I think it's one of the worst we've done on the show, to be honest. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, I think that's the midnight sky unless we have, um, you know, another uh, bit to gab about. Cause I don't, I don't really have anything else. I don't. Oh fuck. I totally forgot to do uh, trivia questions. Me too. Damn it. It's the, it's the only good bit of should the we, podcast. Should we look it up really quick? Should we do it, yeah, on the fly? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be so much better. You just have to ping pong back and forth between them. All right, trivia time. No, let's not do it. Let's just yeah, let's not do it. It's it's too much work. We should have we should do it. Uh, you got to remember to do it next time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, should we move on to bonus features? Yeah. Cue theme song. Bonus features. Bonus. Bonus features. Bonus features. Bonus. Bonus Right, Hugh, it's been kind of a while since we've uh, done this. I'm, I'm sure you're just totally filled up with bonus features, am I right? I am not. Wow. Well, okay, then. Well, I'm, I'm, sure you've watched, I'm sure you've watched something. I watched a couple of things that I can mention. Yeah, let's hear it. Like, I rewatched a bunch of stuff. Um, I didn't really keep track of, of the things that I rewatched. Um, <laughs> and it's probably stuff that I've mentioned on the podcast before, so who cares? I did rewatch, like, um, Armor of God 2 again. It's always it's a good film. film. And uh, um, Wheels on Meals. Great mm, another film. Another fun song. Or fun film, rather. Um, but uh, in terms of new stuff, I watched uh, a film called Love Wedding Repeat. Mm. 
Sounds like shit. His, his title borrows from the alternate title of uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was bad. I don't even want to talk about it. It was bad. It was like mm. that in that. It was like the British rom com model where they try and be like a bit cheeky, and it's kind of like uh, I don't know if you ever saw that terrible death of death of a funeral film, either the British or American one. Uh, I think I've seen both versions. I definitely see the American one. Uh, but you know how it's trying to be a little bit crude and edgy in spots. Hmm. This isn't doesn't go as far, and it's not as a, as like blatantly offensive as death at a funeral is um but it's going to be that sort of same sort of like cap- kind of captures humor. that same vibe that's not very yeah. likable and yeah. certainly not funny and uh it's a terrible film um oh, that's I, too bad last night or the night before i can't remember i rewatched uh strictly ballroom which is a film i hadn't seen since i was a kid um baz luhrmann's first film oh baz luhrmann it was just available on a streaming service. So I was like, yeah, I was, I'm kind of curious what I think of that as an adult. Um, and, and it's fun. Like, it fits in with every other big tentpole Australian film of the 90s in terms of its aesthetic. Uh, even though they were made by quite distinct directors who had their own visions, and I don't think there was, like, a, a central body that was, like, mandating a certain style. Well, to, to some degree, I guess there was, because there is... Screen Australia funding this stuff, um, and and you do get some homogeny there. But it is funny the way the stylistic similarities between all these films that you, all the big Australian films that you think of um, mm. during the '90s wave, like Strictly Ballroom and Muriel's Wedding and Priscilla and Muriel's where Wedding, where very the the milieu is very suburban, never like urban, but always suburban. Um, there's garish colors, there's big, broad caricatures, um, and, uh, a certain note of like artificiality, mm. which like, you know, Baz Luhrmann really leans into with, with Strictly Boring. So it really does, f- um, fit his aesthetic. And I kind of like the fact that the entire film feels like nothing exists outside this dance studio. Mm. So it has this very theatrical quality. Um, I kind of, my memory of it was that it was more of a grounded romantic comedy and it it certainly isn't. Um, But I think this is, it still holds up. It's quite a fun film. The central couple is Paul Mercurio, who was a dancer and kind of a stiff actor. Um, And uh, Tara Morris. And Tara Morris, like, is supposed to come from, like, this uh, kind of parochial Spanish immigrant family she seems like the least spanish actress on earth it's funny <laughs> she seems very like australian um she's supposed to be this mouse wait are you saying it's are you saying australians can't be uh, spanish you very like anglo-australian i'm saying there we go i don't it's actually like, know you're her fucking, like you're fucking racist background beyond being born in in tasmania um but but she she's supposed to be like a, a mousy character who you know transforms over the course of the film into a glamorous dance partner for Paul Mercurio. Um, but she's like very like distinctly Australian mousy as opposed to whatever Spanish mousy is. Actually, mousy is not really a word you normally associate with Spanish women. Boy, do you that racism bit deeper and deeper? Is that racism? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But like, like right. Mousy is a con. Like wh- I don't, whatever. I don't like, make the. I don't make the rules, but <laughs> you just make the judgments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just following uh, the rule book. So whatever, like the cliche is when you think of this person is Mousy, you think of like a librarian type. Mm, I think of you actually, and that doesn't really square with any cliche associated with um, Spanish characters or Spanish people. So that's just all I'm saying. I don't know the reality of it. I haven't actually been to Spain. So. Mm. Me neither. Um, but yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's good stuff. All right. Um, quite like I quite like Baz Luhrmann, to be honest. Uh, the only one of his films I've seen is part of The Great Gatsby when I was in an undergrad, and I, it gave me a really bad headache. So, I mean, the only film films I have seen of his are his first two. So. <laughs> What's the second one? Is it Romeo and Juliet? Or Romeo, they don't Romeo and Juliet, yeah. All right. Do you watch anything else? No. Oh, you know, I've got quite a panoply of uh, cinematic uh, oh, interest no. to get through. Uh, I'll start with uh, the two films I watched on Christmas Day with my family. Are you ready for this uh, fantastic double feature, right? Yeah. Now, both are sort of thematically linked in terms of their genre, I think. Which is that they are, um, well, one of them is pretty big budget, but uh, fairly decently budgeted films from the 80s and 90s that are comedies, right? But which happen to feature uh, copious amounts of special effects, okay? Mm. Uh, now, I haven't quite, uh, you know, determined the name for this genre yet. I'm thinking of something like the effect comedy, but you know what I'm talking about. Your Blues Brothers, these two films, Clifford, there's, uh, there's tons of examples. Beverly Hills Cop. There's lots of films. What that was that one space. where there's like Martin Short's in it and he gets... Inner Space. Yeah, Inner Space, yeah. You did that on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, you know, I've come to really appreciate the style of comedy because it's something that truly does not exist anymore in any way. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> there's something just very strange about the fact that there used to be this genre of just you know, big budget films that were explicitly comedies that have all these like bizarre practical effects. Hmm. Um, and so I'm going to highlight two, I think, um, sort of opposite ends of the spectrum here. Uh, one of them is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, 1996 film, Jingle All the Way, uh, yeah, which is a, a, a beautiful <laughs> film. I don't know what to say besides that. Uh, it almost feels like a parody of the like... Um, marriage and crisis kid comedy movies that were very popular in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, as soon as you put Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, it stops, the the reality of the film starts to break down a little bit, you know? There are some yeah. films where Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, very well, uh, very um, ably fits into the texture of it. But um, trying to play a suburban dad is, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think he is great in this movie, honestly. I think he's what makes this movie, like, you know, interesting and, and funny. Um, but <laughs> if you're looking for, like, a straight experience, it's, it's not like this provides. Um, so, you know, you get Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to play this character named, like, uh, ha- uh, I think it's Howard. <laughs> yeah, his name is Howard. And he's just this typical suburban dad whose son, played by, uh, you know, Phantom Menace's Jake Lloyd, really wants this um, Turbo Man action figure. Turbo Man. Uh, and he has to go across the uh, city of St. Paul, Minnesota. Huh? Huh? 
This film was indeed shot on location in St. Paul. So, you know, you get some great uh, shots of St. Paul. You get part of the movie set in the Mall of America. Uh, mm. So great, great Minnesota locations. Uh, this is a nice surprise. Um, and uh, uh, basically it's to, you know, go through all these bizarre adventures to try to find a Turo Mantle, which is kind of like the uh, PS5 this year where no one to sell it. You can't buy it anywhere. And uh, he's sort of joined on this quest by a <laughs> conspiracy theory, uh, spouted, uh, crazed postal man <laughs> played by Sinbad in uh, another fantastic performance. Um, and they do all sorts of bizarre things like uh, take over a radio station with a bomb threat and eventually blow up some police officers. Uh, the film ends with this protracted action sequence where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets a jetpack and has to dress up as Turbo Man, which is where all the effects come in. Uh, and I think this film is delightful, uh, hilarious. Uh, there's a recurring subplot where Phil Hartman, who plays this like sort of smarmy single dad who uh, seduces the various housewives of uh, the neighborhood that the family lives in. And yes, this is a children's movie, uh, tries to cock Arnold to little avail. But uh, I think it's really funny <laughs> to watch him. He's just he gives this great performance. And uh, another thing I like about this movie is that, uh, you know, Arnold... Arnold's character learns no lessons. Um, you know, eventually he earns the Turbo Man action figure, but uh, he does not seem to, you know, uh, become a better better father or a better husband. And I appreciate how amoral uh, the movie is at the end of the day. Uh, there's no, like, uh, sanctimonious, um, you know, lesson to be learned. So, mm. um, but I think this is a delightful film filled with uh, good-hearted Christmas cheer. Uh, and it is funny and off-putting and and uh, really highly recommended. So that's Jingle All the Way. Um, the other uh, Christmas-themed comedy that I watched uh, that have features a lot of special effects is Bill Murray's Scrooged, um, which is uh, you know similar in that it has all these great practical effects, but it leans more into horror uh, than Jingle All the Way does. Um, and I thought the film was, uh, it was okay. <laughs> I'm not going to go into detail like I did on Jiggle all the way, because frankly, I don't have the same level of passion for it. But, you know, you get Murray doing his shtick, um, and you get some decent cracks against the news media, but, uh, I was kind of, I was, I was a little bored by the end of it, if I'm going to be honest. But it's got some great, bizarre practical effects, and it's almost worth watching just for that, I think. So, that's Scrooged. Um, what else did I watch? Uh, after that, I watched one more film with my family. I watched uh, <laughs> uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, 2015 um, uh, survivalist uh, blockbuster, The Revenant, which, uh, you know what, uh, pretty boring. <laughs> I feel like I don't really need to give it any more air than that. It's uh, kind of dull, single-minded. You know, um, the... Uh, cinematographer who I'm blanking on for whatever reason right now. Uh, Manuel Lubezki does get some very beautiful images in this film, but ultimately it is ponderous and empty and uh, a fairly unenjoyable experience, even if the shots of nature are nice at points. So if you like nature, I guess you could watch that and just turn the sound off or something like that. I just zone out at all the violent parts, I guess. Um, and then, uh, you know, most people, when they think of the name Orson Welles, right, they think of Orson Welles' first film. What do you think of, you? Um, I think of Orson Welles' first film. <laughs> Which most people would say is Citizen Kane. 
But uh, if you're a true cinephile like me, you'll know that Wells Wells actually made his debut with uh, (laughs) the short film The Hearts of Age, uh, which I decided to watch. uh, And uh, it's basically just like a um, series of uh, alternatively overlit and underlit tableaus that don't really add up to anything. Um, it's kind of just like nothing to be honest. Uh, fairly <laughs> Wells made it uh, after watching Unshian on the Woo, which I think is funny. Um, and there's like this kind of surrealist character to it, but it doesn't build up to any particular mood or style. Uh, so I <laughs> didn't really get much out of it. Um, and then you, you know what I followed that up with? Why, of course, on New Year's Eve, I watched with my girlfriend the film Friday the 13th, the very first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has a very enjoyable ambiance and mood of just hanging out in the woods. Uh, you know, these teenage, watching these teenagers get picked off by, uh, I mean, you know, at this point, I think it's everyone's seen the movie. So watching them get picked up by Jason's mom, uh, you know, just enjoyable. Uh, and they just don't make movies like this anymore. And that kind of makes me sad. Um, I'm sure that uh, in the uh, period when it was produced, it's, it's nothing special, but you know, just uh, having a lot of the shots of, of wood of the woods on like physical film. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a nice it's just a nice feeling. Uh, and I think the, the kills are suitably enjoyable. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just like I just like watching uh, teenagers in the woods. I don't know what to say besides that. So that's Friday the 13th. Um, and then, uh, you know, most people, when they think of Orson Welles' second film, what do they what do you think they think of you? Why, could it be the Magnificent Ambersons? Well, Hugh, uh, if you were a real cinephile like me, you'll know that Wells followed up The Hearts of Age with an unfinished, uh, I guess you call it series of short films that were intended to be part of a uh, theatrical production of a play called Too Much Johnson, uh, which is this sort of uh, American farce. I don't really care to go into the details, but... Basically, Wells decided as part of this production to shoot a silent comedy um, that would play at various parts during the film. Um, And it was believed to have been lost, but uh, in fact, uh, they found it in 2013. At least they found a work print of it. Um, And uh, I would describe it as very mildly amusing. (laughs) Um, There are some interesting gags where... um, Wells plays with deep focus uh, to which it basically the the whole um, construction of the joke relies on deep focus. So it's kind of interesting to view this as a, a initial experiment that would come into full bloom in Citizen Kane, um, and sort of uh, also interesting in that you know it shows that Wells was experimenting with deep focus before Kane as well, um, which is obviously something that's pretty crucial to his you know particular. Um, brand of cinema and uh, you know it's got some uh, decent gags there's one that I thought was pretty funny where uh, basically the plot is that Joseph Cotton has like cucked this man um, but uh, he the man only has the top half of a photograph that he's ripped off uh, to identify him by so he's like wandering around the streets of New York City just knocking the hats off of people and he just mm. walks up to someone knocks their hat off and then walks up to the next person and knocks their hat off Eventually, they just start, like, you know, following him around as he knocks more and more people's hats off. And, uh, you know, it's pretty funny. Um, 
you know, I don't think I would recommend watching it unless you're a real uh, Wells completist. But uh, you know, it's 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 somewhat interesting, I think. Uh, so, uh, like I said, the version that eventually was found is just this work pit print, which contained all these alternate takes, and um, the scenes aren't necessarily constructed in the order that they would have been like uh, shown in. Um, but luckily, I rectified that situation by watching a. <laughs> A uh, modern day edit of the film, which tried to approximate what it would have uh, been like and inserted parts from the play to set up the, the plot uh, a little bit better. Uh, and that was fine. So honestly, I'd probably recommend watching the work for it if you're interested at all, even if it's like uh, double the length. So that's too much Johnson. Uh, and then I followed that up with another short film that well directed, which is the trailer for Citizen Kane. <laughs> Um, which, if you don't know, is this kind of very uh, amusing artifact, which contains no footage from the uh, actual film itself, more functions as this like sort of micro behind-the-scenes documentary of the film's production, which I think is uh, interesting in the way that it... Um, uh, basically, the whole like thing is predicated on you know Wells being this interesting director. That's how they sold the film, and it's uh, definitely worth a watch if you're at all interested in Citizen Kane. I think. Um, so that's the Citizen Kane trailer, uh, and then I watched one more film, Hugh, and you know I think I'm just gonna sing a song from it uh, if you if you don't mind <laughs> to see if you can identify it. Has His name is Kane. No, no, there is a man, a certain man. <laughs> And for the poor, you can't be sure that he'll do all he can. Who is this one? His favorite son. Despite his action, has the traction magnates on the run. He loves to smoke. Enjoys a joke. Who wouldn't get a bit upset if he were really broke with wealth and fame. He's still the same. I'll bet you five you're not alive if you don't know his name. What's his name? What's, hmm. it, what's his name? What's his name, Yo? Can I call a friend? Uh, Yeah. All right, give me a second. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Hello, I'm calling you. It's Charlie Kane. It's Mr. Kane. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. Yep. Uh, so I watched, Charlie Kane. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched Citizen Kane, which I watched pretty oh, recently. Oh, really? Tell me about uh, how that <laughs> film came came about. Who wrote it? I watched this great film called Make, which told me the whole story. <laughs> uh, basically, Orson Welles is this uh, you know, credit-stealing thief who, uh, you know, there's this uh, beautiful angel. Not a genius, Vonderkind. No, no. He, he's this uh, bratty, um, overhyped, uh, uh, you know, basically, you know, you know the image of a studio mogul. That kind of fits with, with Welles, too, if you think about it. What? Yeah, this egotistical... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't know, madman even, uh, who's willing to to pervert the the great work of of just a struggling humble uh, screenwriter. Um, but yeah, so Citizen Kane, it's it's a good movie. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, so I don't need to go back into it. I don't think. Um, anyway, that's it. <laughs> that's all I watched. Cool. Um, all right. Well, well, uh, well, I guess we'll see you next week for um, Between the Lines. Yep. I've been Hunter. I've been here.
Yeah. Uh-huh.